0: Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us this morning, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In a 1994 episode of Seinfeld called The Gymnast, Jerry's friend, George Costanza, is caught by his girlfriend's mother, as he eats a chocolate eclair out of a trash can. <laughs> Jerry, hearing the story later, is incredulous. So let me get this straight, he says. You find yourself in the kitchen, you see an eclair in the receptacle, and you think to yourself, what the heck? I'll just eat some trash. <laughs> George answers, no, 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 it was not trash was it in the trash? Yes. Then it was trash. It wasn't down in, it was sort of on top. But it was in the cylinder. Above the rim, adjacent to refuse, says Jerry. Is refuse? George protests. It was on a magazine. It still had the doily on. Jerry, what was it eaten? George, one little bite. Well, says Jerry, that's garbage. George says, but I know who took the bite. It was her aunt. And finally, Jerry's concluding statement. You, my friend, have crossed the line that divides man and bum. You are now a bum. This is a sermon about the line that divides man from bum and trash from not trash. Put another way, it's a sermon about clean and unclean. Kind of. Really, it's a sermon about people who eat out of trash cans. And how on the one hand, we are addicted to arguing, like George, that the unclean things we are doing are actually clean. But on the other hand, this is a sermon about good news. How there is a way. For unclean people like us to actually and really and truly become clean. And the, these ideas about clean and unclean are, of course, not reserved for trash can desserts. People with small children make this distinction for them all the time. Clean and unclean. But we adults do it too. Clean on one side, dirty on the other. Should you tell that certain joke? Well, maybe not in the office, but maybe it's okay with your friends. In one place, it's unclean. In the other, we think it's okay. Should you wear that outfit? Well, maybe in one venue, but not in another. We spend a lot of time and energy separating clean from unclean, good from bad, sinful from righteous. But mostly, I think, we're like George. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out a way to draw the line between clean and unclean so that we are on the clean side of it. Should we tell that lie? Well, of course not. Lying is a sin. Thou shalt not bear false witness. But maybe we can finesse it. Maybe we can draw the line. Maybe it's not a sin if it has to do with, say, encouraging a child. Or with the fit of a dress. Or if we can tell ourselves that it's necessary so that something else will work out better in the end. like George, we draw lines however we have to. To make the argument that we're clean. Jesus of Nazareth, as you might imagine, will have none of that. He comes onto the scene and just blows up all of our line drawing. He radically reorients our understanding of what it means to be unclean. And then radically reorients our understanding of how to get clean. And this reorientation is so fundamental, so foundational, that when Mark sits down to write the story of Jesus' life, Mark's gospel, he decides to start with clean and unclean. The story that we have before us this morning, this interaction that Jesus has with a man possessed by an unclean spirit, is pretty much the first story that Mark tells us about Jesus. He mentions Jesus' baptism briefly. He mentions his temptation in the desert even more briefly. And doesn't mention his conception, birth, or childhood at all. He summarized his preaching in our reading last week. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And now he's ready to get Jesus into the action. Mark seems to now want to tell an actual story of Jesus on his mission. Jesus is going to get his hands dirty, pun intended. Here we have Jesus in action for the very first time. He's in the synagogue teaching, and there happens to be a man there with an unclean spirit. And what I want us to focus on now is what the spirit says to Jesus. What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I love this. It's so revealing. The spirit, this unclean spirit clearly recognizes Jesus for who he is, but doesn't call him Messiah or son of God. He calls him the Holy One of God and asks, If Jesus has come to destroy him. And basically the answer is yes. I am here to destroy you to an unclean spirit. Jesus is dangerous. Jesus rebukes the spirit says be silent. Come out of him and with writhing and a shriek. The spirit leaves the man and thus Mark Writing the story of the most important man who ever lived begins with a battle royale between clean and unclean. Now this confrontation between the holiness of God, here represented by Jesus, the ultimate clean and the unclean, is a common theme in Scripture. You see it page one to the end. In Isaiah 6, for instance, the prophet recounts a vision he has. I saw the Lord, says Isaiah, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is in the presence of a God that the angels are lauding as holy. And he says, I'm going to die. Woe is me, I am ruined. The angels are giving the Lord the same description that this unclean spirit gave of Jesus, the Holy One. And Isaiah has the same reaction. I'm going to die. Isaiah knows the same truth that the unclean spirit knew. Uncleanliness cannot survive in the face of holiness. The unclean spirit says, have you come to destroy us? And Isaiah says, I am ruined. Same thing happens when Jesus meets Simon Peter for the first time in Luke chapter 5. Jesus tells these fishermen who haven't caught anything all night and who he's never met before to cast their nets one more time. And as you'll remember, they come up with so many fish that the boats almost sink trying to get them to shore. And Simon gets out of his boat. Jesus's obvious holiness, making him aware of his own uncleanliness. And he falls down at Jesus's feet, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He might as well have said, I am unclean. Have you come to destroy me? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so we see Jesus' first job to convince you that you need a Savior. Now his second is to save you, and we'll get there, I promise, but we can't jump over this part. That Jesus' first job is to call attention to your need, to your sin. Jesus is the holiness that destroys unholiness. He is the cleanliness that scrubs away uncleanliness. He is the righteousness that burns away unrighteousness. And that first stage is a painful one. To the unclean, Jesus is dangerous. Have you come to destroy us? The unclean spirit says. Yes, exactly. Now, if Jesus' first job is to convince us that we're sinners, our first response to that is normally to reject the very idea. We're more like the rich young man that Mark will tell us about in chapter 10, who said to Jesus' face that he'd been successfully keeping the whole law since childhood. A sinner? Me? No way! You and I, we hate being called sinners. Sinners. And we usually react just like that unclean spirit with writhing and screeching. How dare you call me a sinner? But That's exactly what Jesus does by word or deed to anyone who doesn't already know it. And who hasn't come to him confessing it. And this is the radical reorientation of the line between clean and unclean. Because Jesus' definition of a sinner or one who is unclean includes everyone. Isaiah the prophet, Peter the future disciple, this law-keeping young man, all unclean. All needing to be shown their sin. And we are just like them. But we humans are a slick and deceitful bunch. We've developed very clever ways of avoiding being exposed in our sin. Now, the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 1 writhes and shrieks, and we do much the same thing, but in a different way. Our writhing and shrieking takes the form of George Costanza's desperate argument. We try to make, by intricate and cunning reasoning, the case. That the unclean thing we're doing isn't actually unclean at all. Now, this is most easily seen today in the world's discussion of sex, but if you look for it, you can see it all over the place. This thing I'm doing, it's clean, I swear. It's not unclean, we're told, for sex to be enjoyed outside the bounds for which God created it, as a gift to husband and wife. It's not unclean, we're assured for a person to decide their identity for themselves outside of what God has decreed in creation and accomplished in Christ, the Bible, they say was written so long ago. What's clean and unclean has changed since then. In fact, what we're normally told now is that the only unclean thing is to call anything unclean. It's not unclean, the world shrieks for us to decide what's right and wrong. We sew fig leaves together and protest that we're not naked. God speaks and the world argues. It was above the rim. It was on top of a magazine. It still had the doily on. It was clean. But God's word will brook no disagreement. What the Holy One has called unclean is unclean, despite the ferocity of the world's gnashing of teeth. And so there we sinners find ourselves so often, like George Costanza, hovering over the garbage can of life like animals at a watering hole. Briefly enjoying something that will poison and kill us, protesting all the while that everything is fine. Now, it's very easy, of course, to look at other people and think that they are the stubborn sinners, ignoring God's announcements about clean and unclean. And to be sure, we are called to stand up for the word of the Lord, as our reading from Deuteronomy could not make more clear. I will raise up for them, says the Lord, a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. And then he goes on to say that any prophet that says anything that I didn't say will die. So truth exists. And we are called to proclaim it, to stand up for it, no matter how unpopular it gets. But make no mistake. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each in our own ways, we seek to justify ourselves before a holy God claiming that we are clean. I voted for the right political party. I go to the right church. I'm clean. But again, those protestations, too, are simply George Costanza shouts. So if it was above the rim, it was on top of a magazine, it still had the doily on. As the witness of Scripture attests, no one can stand before the righteousness of God. Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept track of iniquities, then who, O Lord, could stand? On our own, we are all lost. Now, I promised you good news. Here it is. Even we, even we who protest what God says and try to define clean for ourselves are not outside the reach of his saving and redeeming embrace. Though we are all gathered around that trash can. Desperately searching for a tasty morsel to eat. There is good news even for us. Even for members of that trash can congregation. Jesus has more to say than just the destruction of this unclean spirit. That's the way Mark begins his gospel story. But it's a story that ends with Jesus' saving death and resurrection. And that is the real plan for making unclean people clean. By making them altogether new. Our savior explains this throughout the scriptures, both through his own words and those of his apostles. I came for sinners, he says again and again. Anyone can be for a righteous person, They don't need me. The healthy have no need of a doctor. I came for the sick. At just the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly, for the unclean, for the unholy. I gave my life, Jesus says, so that sinners could be redeemed. So how is it that we really become clean? Well, not by protesting in the very human George Costanza style that we are already clean. No, pretending won't do. Instead, we must be made new. The Holy One of God comes and destroys us, but then raises us to new life. In Isaiah 6, cleanliness comes for the prophet by an angel touching his lips with a burning coal. Have you come to destroy us? Wonders the unclean spirit in Mark one. Yes, says Jesus. He doesn't say this, but I like to think that he's thinking of Isaiah with a burning coal. That's how I'm going to burn the uncleanliness out of you. Malachi calls this a refiner's fire burning the old down and making room for the new. And so it is that burning and destroying are not the end of the story. Neither Isaiah's nor Peter's story end in their desperation upon contact with a holy God. Both of them are redeemed. Isaiah's vision ends with his sins being forgiven. And Peter, Peter is made a fisher of men. And his eventual recognition of Jesus as Savior and Messiah is called out as the rock upon which the church is founded. The garbage that the world offers us is destroyed. And we are given something new to eat, something that will give life, something clean. In a few minutes, we're going to come up here to the communion table and eat bread. And drink wine, bread and wine that Jesus called his body and blood broken and shed for the sins of the world. Whenever you eat and drink, he told us, remember me. Remember your old life. How much time you spent digging dirty things out of the trash and then pretending to the world and to yourself that they were clean. I have Jesus says something actually clean to offer you. I give you myself, my body, my blood. This is my body. He said, this is my blood. Behold, I am making all things new. The you that had to forage at the garbage dump is dead, destroyed. A new you, one that will feast at Christ's table forever is born. The story of the prodigal son teaches us that there is no country so far from God's mercies that we cannot be rescued. No garbage dump too disgusting. Your story does not end in the crowd around the trash can. Like Isaiah and Peter, Jesus redeems you. The unclean spirit was right. Jesus has come to destroy. He destroys the unclean in you. And with it, the desire to feed on anything other than him. But after destruction comes resurrection. After Good Friday comes Easter Sunday. After death comes new life. Jesus takes the unclean to the cross with him and gives you a real and forever clean in exchange. A clean that can never be tainted. So stop pretending. Come away from the trash can. Confess your sins and ask God for forgiveness. He is faithful and true and he will forgive you. Come to the table, eat, drink, taste new life given to you. Reaffirm your faith in the creed. Ask God to remind you of all that he accomplished for you. Remember that though you were once so unclean that you could be more accurately described as dead in your trespasses and sins. You have now been raised to new life in Christ. He is clean. And he has given that cleanliness, his own cleanliness to you. Thanks be to God. Amen.